Good morning. Today's call to worship can be found in Psalm 77, verse 7 through 15. In your pew Bible, it's on page 541. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Then I thought, to this I will appeal, the years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. Uh, Today's Old Testament scripture reading is found in Deuteronomy uh, 11, 1 to 5, page 172 in your Pew Bible. Love the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws, and his commands always. Remember today that your children were not the ones who saw and experienced the discipline of the Lord your God, his majesty, his mighty hand, and his outstretched arm, the signs he performed, and the things he did in the heart of Egypt, both the Pharaoh and the king of Egypt, and did to his whole country, and what he did to the Egyptian army, to his horses and his chariots, how overwhelmed he were in the waters of the Red Sea, as they were pursuing them, and how the Lord brought lasting ruin on them. It was not your children who saw what he did for you in your wilderness until you arrived at this place. Today's New Testament reading is found in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, 12 through 17, 21, and 22, and it's on pages 1003 and 1004 in your Pew Bible. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit. To the apostles he had chosen after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them his command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zelot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. Therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time. The Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from Judas's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, for one of these must come a witness with us of his resurrection. Trevor's song hits on the experiences of woundedness, disassociation, 
disenfranchisement, poverty, where comfort might be found, community, relationship. It's a song about experience. And these are the things that make up a generation's experience, different perhaps from other generations. One thing we all have to find is our experience of God. Whatever the source of a song. I uh, wanted to observe that in fact, I'm extremely sad to be here this morning. I'm devastated to see all of you here this morning. It means that we missed the rapture. And I know that it happened because this entire section is gone. And a few over here. I'm thinking that the left side, your right side of the church, is more righteous than the left side, my right side, uh, just based on these numbers here. But I, oh, what a, what a blow. Um, it's a pity more couldn't learn from our mistakes, isn't it? Jesus will one day make his grand appearance, and we shall be ready, but not because we know the day or the hour. Not because we know the day or the hour. The text we read in Deuteronomy 5 this morning, or 11, excuse me, Deuteronomy 11? Yes, Deuteronomy 11, 1 to 5 this morning, says something very powerful that I just want to reverberate out as backdrop for today's thoughts. And actually, I'm not quoting Deuteronomy 11, 1 to 5. I'm quoting Psalm 77, excuse me, verse 7, 8, 9. In verse 10, this is what he says. Then I thought to myself, basically. To this I will appeal, the years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on your mighty deeds. Psalmist is on to something. He's on to something powerful. He's on to something present. He's on to something relevant. Yes, even for us. You may not have the boldness to go before the Lord and complain about whether he's forgotten you permanently or not. But we mumble and grumble just the same. Where is the leading of the Lord? Sometimes we say to ourselves, where is his presence And the psalmist is experiencing these spiritual doldrums. He's experiencing this sense of lostness once again, as David so often did. And if we're honest, I think each of us so often feel as well. Do you not get to a point in your week with fatigue, with bad news, with something that's happening in your family that's not working out, and you just feel like that connection with God is somehow not vital, not alive, not real, not there? He's somehow just vanished the scene I see some of you shaking your heads David's there fortunately it doesn't reflect anything on the reality of God or his presence it only reflects the way he feels it doesn't reflect the challenges it just reflects 
what he's thinking, what he's experiencing. So that's probably a good cue for you to turn your cell phone off if you haven't already. <laughs> the passage here is one I want to highlight because we've been talking about resurrection life here in Eastertide, these weeks following Resurrection Sunday. What does it mean to experience the resurrection life of Jesus Christ? What difference does that event make in our lives here and today? It's been the, the, the seminal question of these sermons. And I'd like to suggest something really obvious to you today. That the resurrection life is somehow understood, somehow experienced in a vital remembering and daily expectation of the experience of God. Now, I'm not talking about knowing something about God. I'm not talking about information. I'm not talking about head knowledge. I'm not even talking about maybe a warm feeling. I'm talking about understanding the workings of God in some kind of experiential way. And the psalmist hits on the first way we do this. I feel like God isn't here. I feel like God has left me. What can I do? What I will do is I will think back. I will remember when God stretched out his right arm, when he acted in might and power. I'll recount the great acts of God. That takes a couple of things, doesn't it? One, it takes a collective memory. In our cases, we have the scriptures which give us a collected memory of thousands of years of span of time, a sacred history, if you will, in which the mighty acts of God are recorded. We get to experience them as they're told. It's a heritage we receive. Then we need an individual memory, a commitment to looking for the ways in which God has acted in our own lives in a mighty way. Remembering the way in which he softened our hearts and made them flesh. Remembering the ways he's moved us from places of selfishness and inner focus to service. Remembering the ways in which he called us as a community to do something in his name, to build and pay for a facility, to make it available for ministry. Whatever it is, we need an individual memory that can pull to those things God has done in our lives and in our lifetime. Maybe you can think back to a deliverance. Mr. Branham's story this morning was of deliverance, wasn't it? Not all stories end so well. But thank God there's deliverance. When we recount the mighty acts of God who stretches forth his mighty hand, when we recount his deliverances, when we recount the ways in which he's interacted with the world, 
the ways in which he's touched the world in history, we have an experience of God that is a precursor, if you will, to, to an understanding of resurrection life. Because if resurrection life means an active experience of God, part of that is an encapsulation and a memory, collective and individual, of the past actions of God. Do you understand what I'm saying in time? Let me make it clean and simple. You are a being situated in a point in time. That point keeps shifting, each second bringing a new point in time. You are not a present being, nor are you a future being. You are a being entirely, that is. Let, let, me, let me kind of spell this. Nor are you a past being. The being that was a second ago is not now. The being that is now is likely to be in the future but isn't in the future yet. And so only the present is the most real. But the present is an aggregate of everything past and the likelihood of everything future. Does that make sense? So you are a collection of experience in this moment corporate and individual, as you move forward in time with every expectation that each of us will, in fact, move forward in time, at least for the short run. Why is that important? Why is the pastor talking about the past, present, and future in relationship to time and being? What does that have to do with my life? Here it is. When we as aggregates of past and present looking to the future remember who God is and what he has done, we have something to hang faith and hope in the future on. We have experience. You see, a child for a while goes through tremendous anxiety every time a parent leaves a room. Do you remember that phase in your child's life? You probably don't remember it in your own. You remember it because it was traumatic. The child's sobbing like he's never going to see you again, and that's because he thinks he's never going to see you again. Doesn't have object permanence yet. Hasn't developed that. Doesn't know from experience that you're leaving the room to go to work or to go upstairs or whatever isn't resulting in some kind of permanent separation. He has to learn that. As a child experiences your faithful love and attention, the child comes to understand. As the child experiences the world as it is, object permanence becomes a part of that child's world, and they begin to expect that when you go, you will come again. Have we experienced God past in such a way that when we feel like he's gone, we expect him to come again? We expect him to be there at, at, at some point in the future? I think that's what David was doing. I think that's how the psalmist was experiencing God in a moment in which he couldn't find a way to experience it. That's uh, really not worth an amen, but um, yeah. We get to the Deuteronomy passage, moving backward in Scripture. And I don't uh, like to reread, but let me just refresh your mind and, and ears on, on what we've heard. 
The, the Deuteronomy 11 is a commandment passage. Love the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his decrees and laws and his commands always. So that's the, the opening line to that. And we're familiar with this. We kind of, okay, yeah, another set of things to do is, is how most of us might see that. But the part two of the command is remember. That's what the fourth commandment is about, remembering as well. So there's something here that's really vital, God says. I want you to remember something. I want you to remember today that your children were not the ones who saw, and I love this word, and experienced the discipline of the Lord your God, his majesty, his mighty hand, his outstretched arm, the signs he performed and the things he did in the heart of Egypt, both to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his whole country. What he did to the Egyptian army, to its horses and chariots, how he overwhelmed them with the waters of the Red Sea as they were pursuing you, and how the Lord brought lasting ruin on them. It was not your children who saw what he did for you in the wilderness until you arrived at this place, and what he did to Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab and the Reubenite, when the earth opened its mouth right in the middle of all Israel and swallowed them up with their households, their tents, and every living thing that belonged to them. But it was your own eyes that saw these great things that the Lord did. We want to experience resurrection life. What is it that we see the Lord doing? On the one hand, we're to do. On the other, we're to remember. And when we don't have an experience of our own to remember because we're not the generation that was in Egypt, when we're not the generation that witnessed the miracles that brought God's people out of Egypt and delivered them, when we weren't the people who wandered in the desert and saw what God was doing to sustain and deliver them, when we weren't the people who experienced his discipline, what are we to do? We're to remember. We're to remember. Our collective memory must be that God is creator, that he is lover, that he is redeemer, that he is deliverer, that he is one who brings about judgment and justice, and one who speaks tenderly to his own. And this experience that we take from a collective past helps us as we move forward. The Acts passage. Acts chapter 1. Acts is a fabulous book about the experience of the early church with God and the disciples. I chose this passage because of the connection to an experience of Jesus post-resurrection. As was well read, there's a summary in Acts 1, 1 to 5. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. So the disciples' experience is they're in the upper room as, they've, as they're living post 
crucifixion, and now post-resurrection is of a risen Lord. They're asking questions. They see him ascend. And they decide that they need to replace Judas. When the disciples returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city, when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. They were present. Excuse me, those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together in constant prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. It said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field where he fell headlong. His body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. So they called the field in their own language, Akeldama, that is to say, field of blood. For Peter said, it is written in the book of the Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed the name of two men. Joseph, called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the eleven apostles. Verse 21 is key in this passage. Take a moment. It is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord went in and out among us. Beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. This long passage I've just read is of the selection of the replacement of Judas, the betrayer. And the criteria was simple. It had to be someone who had been with them. That is to say, someone who had experienced the incarnate living Christ who walked and worked among men. Someone who had heard him teach. Someone who had seen him act. Someone who had witnessed his miracles. Someone who understood what resurrection power looked like when at Bethany he called Lazarus forth, or in Nain he raised the widow's son, or in uh, Cana turned water into wine, or in Capernaum sat upon the hill and broke bread and fish and fed 5,000 while teaching and ministering to them. That experience was necessary. What is your experience? There's plenty of testimony. Testimony about the Christ who presents himself as the mighty arm of God in the Old Testament, the Deliverer. Testimony about Christ, the incarnate Son of God, who in the New Testament 
speaks to us of a new kingdom that's not of this world. Who tells us of the order of love. Who models in generosity, in kindness, in word, in deed, in miracle what the kingdom would be about. Who in his death brings life and in his life brings life more abundantly and eternal. Those who could recount the days of old. Those who could remember being brought out of Egypt. Those who stood by Christ through his ministry and witnessed his mighty deeds. These bear witness. And resurrection life means that we have a testimony of our own. Added to this wonderful sea of witnesses that have gone before us. Added to this recounting and memory, collective memory of the ways in which God has acted and served and spoken and moved. What is God's movement in your life? What is God's movement in our collective lives? What is our experience of the living God? Because I would suggest to you today that to experience the living God as we remember the way he's acted, as we recount what he has taught and the way he has spoken to people past, as we listen for that same still small voice in the now and moving forward, that's resurrection life. It's that experience that culminates in the granddaddy of experiences, the one I referred to at the beginning, the one we look forward to. The day in which all of these pews are empty. The day in which Jesus comes and says, welcome home, children. Well done, good and faithful servants. I'm here for all of you who sought to truly experience me. Lord, in our rememberings, in our readings, in our comings and goings and experience, may we know you and in knowing you and experiencing you, may we understand a bit more of this resurrection life that's ours in Jesus Christ for which we give you the glory, the honor, the praise, forever and ever.